I want to preach a message this morning that I've called A House of Zeal and Wisdom. And it's a message that I've been carrying on my heart for a little bit. I've shared with leaders, but I've also shared with a number of our campuses. And I want to bring it to you guys here this morning. It comes out of this fascinating story in the book of 2 Kings. And it's about a king by the name of Jehu. So if you have a Bible, you can flick on over to 2 Kings if you'd like to. Or if you've got the Elam Christian Center app, in that app you can find the notes for this as well. It's about a guy called Jehu. Jehu is... Uh, anointed and appointed king over Israel, and he's charged with this task of bringing Israel back to the Lord. See, Israel has been under the rule of a wicked king called Ahab and this woman called Jezebel, who've kind of corrupted the kingdom and the nation of Israel. They've taken them far from God. They've taken them into all kinds of idolatry and wickedness, and the kingdom is in a terrible place. And so the Lord appoints Jehu as this king who's going to restore Israel back to the Lord. And so Jehu is full of zeal for God. He's like this passionate dude. He's just like, he's like the Nyla of that generation. You know, he's just passionate, full of zeal. He's pumped up on the Lord. He's excited for the things of God. He is he's like chasing after God's heart. He's even so zealous that when people see him driving his chariot, they know it's him from a long way away because he drives like a madman. Much like some of you drove into the church car park late this morning. Just, we've got to get in there. But Jehu is so full of passion, so full of zeal that he just takes this uh, opportunity and takes this challenge head on. And he does something that no other king has been able to do. Firstly, he gets rid of Jezebel, which is a a massive uh, feat. And many kings have not been able to do that before. And she had such a vice grip and stronghold over the nation, just perverting them in all kinds of ways. And then he does something that no king before him in Israel has ever been able to do. He completely eliminates Baal worship from the nation of Israel. Many have tried to do that, but they never fully got rid of it. He's the first one to completely rid the nation of it. He's so zealous for the Lord. Here's what he says about himself in 2 Kings chapter 10. He said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. Man, you've got to be fully on fire for, for God if you're saying to someone, hey, just come with me, and if you just walk alongside me, you're going to see just how zealous I am for God and the things of God. Yet as I read this story, there was a verse that stood out to me more than anything else, and it wasn't these verses. It was this one. In 2 Kings 10, verse 31, it says this, But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all of his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. Jehu's issue was not that he wasn't zealous, it's that he wasn't careful. Jehu hadn't quite mastered the ability to bring his zeal and couple it also with wisdom. His zeal wasn't the problem. He was on fire for God, but he just didn't have the care and wisdom to accompany that to make him incredibly effective long term. And the truth is, as a pastor, and I've been now on staff with Elam Christian Center for 20 years. Last year was my 20th year on staff. I started when I was 10. It's been an amazing journey. I don't don't know why they're laughing, Frosty, but the truth is, after 20 years of pastoral ministry, I just see the same thing all the time. I see people who are on fire for God, pumped up, full of zeal, full of passion, but are also lacking that wisdom. And it only takes them so far and it only takes them so long before they're taken out by something or something that goes on along the way. Not because they weren't on fire for God, because they weren't careful. They weren't coupling wisdom into it. So, uh, you know, I really believe that God is calling the church to be a church of both zeal and wisdom. We have to be the kind of church of zeal and wisdom. Look, I pray, God, don't ever let, it, let us be a church that lacks zeal. 
Let us never be a, a complacent, mediocre church. Let us never be the kind of church that is passionless. But let us be passionate for the things of God. Let's be passionate for the Word and for the lost and for the gathering of the saints. Let us be passionate about worship and worship God with reckless abandon. Let's never be a church that lacks zeal, but Lord, let us never be a church that lacks wisdom. Let us never act rashly and carelessly and run ahead where God is not calling us to go. So the question is, how do we as a people and as a church avoid Jehu's mistake? And how do we in our lives and how do I in my life bring wisdom and zeal together? I've got some thoughts for us this morning. You can take notes. If you want to get to heaven, you should probably take notes. I'm not saying that's biblical. I just wouldn't risk it today. You never know. But if we're going to be a house of both zeal and wisdom, here's three things I want to leave with you. First one is this. We have to connect the generations. If we want a couple zeal and wisdom, we have to connect the generations. I had one of those um, like generational moments, though, you know, those back in my day moments just the other day. You know, you think, oh, back in my day. And I had one of those, oh, I've got two kids. I've got a, a nearly 13-year-old. He'd be 13 in about a month. And I've got a, a nine-year-old going on 10. And so I have a lot of these moments where I'm like, back in my day, boys. And, and we were driving uh, on a road trip down to Topol for our winter summer holiday, like many of you had. We were going down to Topol. And uh, as we were driving down, I look in the rear vision mirror and I see my two children. And they're happy as anything because they've both got headphones on and iPads in front of them. And they're watching some movie that they've downloaded. Now, I'm sitting there thinking, I have this moment where I think, remember when to get a movie, you had to go to the video shop? Do you remember those days? There's a, whole, there's a whole generation in this room that do not know the joy of the video shop. I mean, you may do because there was one video shop that was holding out for dear life and it was about 100 meters from us right here. It was like right downstairs. Was it United Video? or It was a United Video. Long live the Papakura United Video. The glory of the Lord is here. I'm telling you. The, the video shop, a lot of young people and the millennials in the room, you had no idea what the video shop was. You, you, you couldn't just go on your iPad and look on, on Netflix uh, to find a movie. You had to go to the video shop and hopefully the video you wanted wasn't rented out by somebody else. And, so, and then when you brought it back, you had to rewind the tape. Otherwise, you'd get a fine. You could only have it for a few days. You don't know the pain and the joy of the video shop now to watch a movie. All you do is open Netflix, look at Netflix for three hours, can't make a decision, and then go to bed while scrolling uh, Instagram. That's all you do. That's, that's the new video shop moment. But as, as I'm looking in the rear view mirror and these kids are watching the, the, the climax of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Endgame on their iPads as we drive between Auckland and Topo, I can't help but remember that back in my day, entertainment on a long road trip was counting those little white reflective signs <laughs> on the side of the road. And as my children are enjoying Captain America and his, and his shield and Thor and his hammer, I'm remembering eight-year-old Stevie going, one two, for five hours. Back in my day. Generations are different, right? We're really different. And as I look across this room, I see many different generations. I see some, some gray hair and no hair, and I'm not looking at anyone when I say that. Generations are different, but, but we, I want to say that the generations need each other. Generations need each other. The, the younger generation needs the older generation. Why? Because the younger generation can be stupid. Because <laughs> there's this thing called your frontal lobe, and it's not fully developed until about 24. 
And so you can't problem solve well and you can't rationally think well and you can't see through consequences well. That's why I feel like I save my children's life every day <laughs> from stupidity and crazy ideas. But there's a whole lot of zeal and there's a whole lot of passion. There's a whole lot of fire. There's a, this desire to go ahead and do stuff. So the, the younger generation need the older generation of wisdom and experience and time and, and they've walked a journey. But the older generation also needs the younger generation. Because the older generation, we, you know, like when, you, when you're a bit older, you've got to get up off the floor. And, and it's like everything starts to creak and crack and grow. And, and you make weird noises. You're like, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, getting up off, just, just getting off your chair. As you, as you leave church, so there's going to be this uh, moment that, that happens. And it's like as you get older, you just kind of get a bit rusty and a bit creaky and a bit groany. And, and so then what can happen is as you get older, everything's a problem and everything's not what it used to be. And everything, oh, uh, 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 with everything. And what we need is the younger generation with a bit of zeal and a bit of passion just to lubricate the joints a little bit and bring a bit of oil to us. So we go, actually, God is good and things are good. And there is a great future ahead for us. You know, I, I, the church is better when the generations are together. The zealous need the wise, and the wise need the zealous. See, I've never been a fan of, of different generations having their own version of church. I've, you know, often we'll have, oh, can we have an oldies service where we meet early in the morning and we just sing hymns and it's all bright and light and everything like that? Or can we have a youth service that on a Sunday that's just doing this and stuff? And listen, I've never been a fan of, of, of generations having their own services because I, I believe zeal and wisdom must inhabit the same space. We have to cohabitate. And that means we have to walk a tension of creating a church that does it for both. And that's where we have to walk a tension of a church that's too loud for some and too quiet for others. And too light for some and too dark for others. And, and too this for some and too that for others. We've got to walk that tension because we have to be a house of zeal and wisdom. We have to have generations cohabitating. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 15 says this, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Paul is saying to the church, he's saying, be an imitator of me as I am a father in the faith. He's not just saying imitate me, like follow me as I follow Jesus. He's saying, imitate this model. I'm being a father to those who need a father. You know, I recently turned 40. And I know it's, that comes as a major surprise to you. Uh, and my kids, they're growing. And I've realized that, as I am a father naturally and as I'm growing naturally in the natural with my own family and my own children, I've also come to realize in the last couple of years that I've moved from a son in the church to a father in the faith. I'm starting to make that transition to become a father in the faith. And I really believe that there are many people sitting here today and God's call for you is to begin to pick up the mantle of being a spiritual father or a mother in the house of God. To begin to take up what God is leading you into to say, you know what, I'm no longer just going to be here about me, but I'm going to start fathering and mothering spiritually the next generation that are coming after me. I actually believe as I wrote this message that there is people sitting in the church today and you're sitting here, and maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. Maybe you've been in the church, even in this church, since we, we started this campus. And you're sitting here now after walking many seasons with the Lord saying, where do I fit now? Where's my place now? Like, I see all these people doing these things, but what do I do? And I'd like to suggest that maybe the answer to that question is to become a spiritual father or mother in the faith so that you can then impart what God has done in you into somebody else. It's called discipleship. 
spiritual fathering and mothering. And, and the, the question is, what does that look like? Now, I don't want you, like maybe right now God is, you feel like God's stirring you in that. Here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to go to the cafe afterwards and go up to some young person and go, God's told me to be a spiritual mummy. That's weird. We don't need that. All right. Zeal and wisdom. Let's bring some wisdom to that. What it means is this. You simply go and say, God, who are you calling me to adopt? Who are you asking me to adopt and look after? And then, then once you, you have an idea of who God might want you to adopt, now it's time to start praying for that person. So start praying for them. And then it's time to start encouraging that person. Start speaking life into them. And then it's time to start giving into their life and actually making their life better and blessing them. And then it's time to start walking your journey with them. Don't sit them down and go, here, I'm going to tell you every, I'm going to be your spiritual daddy. And here's what, this, I'm going to tell you everything you need to and not need to do with your life. No, 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 no. Just pray for that person. Encourage that person. Invest into that person. And then start to walk a journey alongside with them. Here's another idea. Why don't you join a small group? Why don't you sign up to lead a small group? If you feel God's stirring you to do that, why don't you trust Him to bring the right people to you into your small group and then begin to walk a journey of encouraging people to helping them take their next steps, sharing the Word of God with them and praying for people. That's what it looks like. It looks like saying, God, I'm going to trust you to bring people to me that I can invest my life into and help them take the next step you're asking them to take. What a great opportunity to go sign up for a small group today. Second thought is this. How do we bring zeal and wisdom together? Number two, we promote passion and we welcome instruction. We promote passion and we welcome instruction. I remember um, years ago here, Christian, this is why I brought you with me today. You can open my bottle for me. Thank you. Christian, my, my friends, what an amazing guy. What a legend. This is why you go to the gym seven days a week. <laughs> to open bottles for me. Thank you, brother. Uh, I remember the very first time I ever got asked to preach in church. Now, when I say preach in church, I don't mean like what I'm doing now. I mean like like we used to have this thing at a Sunday night service in, in the Botany campus. It was, we had like a seven o'clock night service on a Sunday. And we used to have a thing we called a preach it. And a preach it was like a f- little three to five minute mini sermon that you got to do to have a go before the real preacher came up and fixed all your bad theology. <laughs> so so um, it was like an opportunity to give someone who's an up and comer, just give them a go. Share their testimony or share a bit of a word of an, an encouragement, something like that. So he, this, is the, this is the scenario. Steve, 18 years old, barely saved. I've been walking with Jesus for like a month and a half. And someone says to me, hey, you should get up and share. And a pre- we'll give you a preach it slot. And I'm like, cool, let's go, because I'm on fire for Jesus. Like God radically got a hold of my life. And so I'm like, I need to tell people about him. So you know what I did? I did my first ever preach it on the stage about hell. And not even about what the Bible says about hell. I had a dream about hell. And so that was my preach it. I was there telling everybody, this is what hell looks like. This is what it feels like. This is what it smells like. This is what it tastes like. You don't want to go there. Give your life to Jesus. Like I was just, I was just loose and going for it. And I remember getting off the stage after doing this preacher. I'm like pumped up. I'm thinking I'm saving the world. It's amazing. And uh, my mentor, the guy, a guy who just started discipling me, was, was, he came to sort of support me in it. And praise God, he was there. He kind of put his arm around me and just encouraged me. And then as we were leaving church, this older gentleman 
who had been in the church for a long time, he walked past me and he, in a really sarcastic kind of put down tone, he just said, well, that was interesting theology. And, and I, I, I was like, oh, because I didn't even know what that word meant. I didn't even know what he meant by theology. I, know, I, I had no idea what that was. And I looked at my mentor, Darren, and I said, what does he mean? Because I don't know what he, I don't understand what he said, but I know what he meant. Like he was trying to like really put me down. And he said, don't you worry about it. So he took me out for dinner afterwards. And he sat me down. He said, Steve, love your passion. Like you, God has got a hold of your life. And there's a call on you for something. And there's maybe even it's a call to preach. And I could see that tonight you're very natural and able and capable. And God, maybe God might want to use you to do this. But he said this. But he said, Steve, here's, here's some advice. Don't ever preach on the platform in a church. And don't ever do it without using the word of God as your sole source of truth. Don't ever, don't ever deviate from the word. He said, don't preach on a dream. Don't preach on a vision. Don't preach on an idea. Don't preach on anything else but the word of God. And then he began to teach me some biblical theology and gave me some ground. I've been saved for a month and a half. Like, come on, I didn't know nothing. I barely even read like the gospel. I like, I didn't even know, I didn't even know why Jesus died for me. All I knew is I needed him. That's how young and fresh I was in the, in the faith. And so he began to just teach me biblical theology and tell me about the Word and maybe memorize Scripture and help me along the journey. I'm so thankful that he didn't squash my passion, but he gave me some wisdom and instruction to help me grow. And praise God he did, because I probably wouldn't be here if I'd listened to that other man who just put me down for bad theology. And I'll be honest with you, it was terrible theology. I don't know what the church was thinking putting me up there without vetting my message first. We've learned some lessons. I'll tell you that much, church. We've gotten a lot better. But let's be a church that promotes passion for God. Let's be the kind of church that promotes passion. Let's not look down on somebody if they're worshiping Jesus with reckless abandon. Let's be the kind of church that encourages people to go after the things of God. I reckon one of the greatest ways that we promote passion in a church is through encouragement. It's through encouragement. And I want to focus in on this for a moment because I really want to build in the heart of our church a heart of encouragement, a spirit of encouragement, a church that actually believes the best in one another and actually calls it out of one another. I think maybe it's like Kiwi culture where we don't like, we don't encourage one another because we've got this tall poppy syndrome thing and we're worried if we tell them you did a good job or I'm proud of you or that was awesome, we're afraid that we're going to give them a big head. Oh, you won't fit through the doorway. With your hair, like, as if, as if people, like, as if that's what's going to happen. Like, as, our concern is that we're going to build people up. Our con, like, my experience with people is that often their heads are too small anyway. They think too little of themselves, too little of God, too little of what God could do in them, and too little of the plan of God that He has for their life. So I'm not concerned about giving you a big head. I want to give you a big heart. I want you to trust God more. I want you to believe God more. I want you to step out into the call of God. Let's be the kind of church that pumps people up and builds people up. The devil's already having a field day ripping people down. Let's not help him out. Let's do the opposite. Most of, I think the church, and, and I think people in the church, and not just the church, but, but across our nation, are starved of encouragement. Starved of it. We, we, we quit way too early. Why? Because we just didn't get encouraged along the way. We didn't find that source of someone putting courage in us to go again. And that's what encouragement, encouragement is an antidote to a passionless faith. Encouragement fosters resilience in the hearts of people. 
If you're serving God and you're doing the best you can and sometimes it's working and sometimes it's not and all that you get is people criticizing you and pulling you down and saying that wasn't good enough and you get that one person that says, you know what, what you said today, it really spoke to my heart and it's really encouraged me. That will sustain you for months, months along the journey. It's like the poor old tech team that no one notices until something goes wrong. Oh, that was wrong today. Yeah, cool. Why don't you tell them when it got right? Guys, you did a flipping awesome job today. There was not one issue with sound. It was wonderful. You guys do an amazing job. You're the team that fixes everything that breaks. Everything that wants to break, you guys make sure is working. Let's be the kind of church that when we come here, we encourage one another. What an amazing moment for Frosty just to honor and encourage Nyla and Axton who have been with us on a journey for, for way longer than the last four years. These guys have been serving. When, when I was a youth pastor back in, back in my day, <laughs> like this is, we're talking... We're talking like 15 years ago. These, were, these two were just two young people in our youth ministry in Botany who were coming after God and serving Him and on our worship team and dancing and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Like these guys have been in this for a long time. And how good that we honor and acknowledge and encourage another couple. Like, you know what that's going to do for them? That's going to stir them on for the next thing. They're going to go, oh, cool, well, what's next? We've, we've handed this over, that's right, but what's next? And Tim, what a legend, stepping up, saying, yeah, I will follow the call of God and actually put myself out there. Leadership's challenging, leadership's difficult. Saying, I'm going to take something on makes you like vulnerable for a whole lot of things. But what a, what a flipping legend to say, yeah, use me, God. Here I am, like I'll step up and I'll use my talents to do something. What an amazing team that are out there looking after your rat bags right now so you can listen to me bore you to death. Like, but like you don't have these little things crawling over you and, 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 and wanting food and snacks all the time and like pushing things over. They're there pushing stuff over and they're crying to all them about snacks. Praise God for the kids team. I hope when you pick them up, you say, thank you. I love you. You're amazing. I hope that as we come together as a church, we encourage one another. That, that when you see, here's the rule, and this is, this is like, this is now, you'll find this in the Steve International Version of the Bible. It's, if you think something encouraging about somebody, it's illegal to not give that away. Illegal. You cannot keep that to yourself. That's, that's Elam Christian Center, rule for life. If you think something and it's encouraging about somebody else, you've got to give it away. Text them, call them, write them a note, tell them, email them. I don't care, but it's illegal for you to hold on to that. If they've blessed you in some way or you're just stirred by them, maybe they were worship, worshiping God next to you this morning and their just passion for God was a little bit infectious. Like, Man, I love the way you worship Jesus today. It's so cool. Just in my heart, so good. You have no idea what that's going to mean for somebody. We promote passion in this house. Promote passion. But we also welcome instruction. We also welcome instruction. We're not just saying, yeah, go after God with all the craziness that that can entail. But we're also bringing instruction to the passion to help bring alignment to it. Proverbs 15, 32 says this, whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. I've learned there's a big difference between criticism and correction. One will kill passion. The other will give guidance to passion. Big difference between criticism and correction. One will kill passion. One brings direction and guidance to it. My eldest son, Judah, has just started playing cricket this year. I, I, I've got a feeling it's going to be his one and only season. But anyway, I love the game of cricket. I'm all about it. I think it's an awesome game. We're going to play that game in heaven at the Heavenly Oval. So if you're not into that, then maybe this isn't the church for you. I'm just, <laughs> that, that was a joke, by the way. Relax. Um, so he's playing cricket. 
And so it's his first time, and he's wild, like passionate. Yeah, I want to hit boundaries and smash sixes, and I want to like bowl real fast, and like he's just he's just into it. And so all his movements are wild, big, wild uncontrolled. And so he keeps getting bowled out. He keeps getting caught out. And so I've got him in the nets and I'm, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to bring some guidance and instruction to the passion. So I'm, I'm trying to, hey buddy, like just keep your head still, get your foot behind the ball, get that, that gap between bat and pad. You've got to get that nice and tight so there's no gap there. You like, Keep your head nice and still as you're playing your shot while you smack it up, up into the air. Don't play across the line. Just play the ball as it play each ball as merits. Don't, don't over-anticipate every single ball. So I'm trying to get, and my, my goal is not to kill his passion. That's the hard thing. That's the challenge for, for a leader or for someone who's coaching or whatever, is to try not to squash the passion that you see, but to bring some guidance and some instruction so that the passion has a greater effectiveness. And that's what I'm trying to do. And that, that's, friends, why we see the importance of biblical community to bring wisdom to passion. It's the importance of guides and instructors and leaders and pastors and those who God has brought into the house of God and small groups and things like that. Why biblical community is a wonderful way of bringing a whole bunch of wisdom and guidance and instruction to couple with the passion. There's safety there. There's alignment there. There's good advice that's going on there. And even more so, here was Jehu's mistake. His mistake was that he did not hold to the law of the Lord with all of his heart. Translation, he forgot the word of God. He didn't hold on to that like it was the only thing he had. He didn't keep that in his heart like it was the firm foundation it is. He didn't hold to it like it was the plumb line of life giving you alignment and direction to everything that you do. How do we couple zeal and wisdom? We welcome the instruction of and we hold firmly to the word of God. In your life, in my life, we hold to the Word of God. And here's my concern for the church. My concern for the church is that we will breed a scripturally illiterate generation who love the elements of church and love worship and are passionate for God and love prayer and love encounter, but have very little foundation in the Word. And people who are in that lane are very susceptible to deception. And are very easily led astray and very easily find themselves in places and situations which are no longer aligned to the Word of God. And a Christian lacks the Word of God, does not have a foundation. Zeal without the wisdom of the Word can lead to a prideful and misguided faith. And it can lead to a faith that's purely built on emotions and feelings and opinions, which then become far more important to them than biblical authority. And so as a church and as a, as a follower of Jesus, my greatest recommendation and commendation to you is to put the Word of God deep in your heart. Make it the firm foundation on which you build your life. Make it the instruction that guides your zeal and your wisdom and your passion. I love how King David wrote it. He said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. To keep me and my passion from going astray, I'm going to keep that word deep in my heart. I'm going to hold to it like it's the only thing I have. Friend, bring your zeal and, bring, and submit it to the instruction of the Word and the wise among you. How do we couple zeal and wisdom? My lost order is this. Band, you guys can join me. Tim, you can make me sound more spiritual with your beautiful guitar playing. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, come on, buddy. There we go. Number three, we hold to Jesus. How do we couple zeal and wisdom as a church? 
we hold to Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of zeal and wisdom. If you're looking for a picture, someone who embodies both zeal and wisdom is Jesus. He's the lion and the lamb. He is that same Jesus who in the temple, people marveled at his wisdom. In the same temple, people ran for their lives as he turned tables and chased people with whips because they'd corrupted a place of prayer. The same Jesus in the same temple, wisdom and zeal, wisdom and zeal. So the question is, friends, have you lost your zeal? Have you lost your passion for God? Are you in this place and you're kind of like, you're a bit lukewarm in your faith? You're kind of like, I'm coming here, I'm going through the motions. But if I'm honest, like, I've lost that real fire for God, that zeal. Here's my recommendation. Come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. Come back to where it all started. Come back to that place where you found Him. And He lit that fire in your heart, and your spirit. Come back to Jesus. He is the embodiment of passion. You can't be around Him. You can't get near to Him. You can't follow Him with all your heart and not be a little bit more passionate for the things of Him. But if you're here today and you're, you've got all the passion, but maybe you've lost a bit of wisdom, maybe you're lacking some wisdom. Maybe through the last couple of years, the, the craziness and the chaos of the last couple of years globally has caused you to, in your zeal, run everywhere. If you've lost a bit of wisdom, come back to Jesus. Because He is also the embodiment of wisdom. His Word says, if any of us lack wisdom, come, ask, He'll give it to us. He'll give it to us. So come back to Jesus. I'd love to pray for us, church. Is that okay? Can we bow our heads for a moment? Father, I thank you for this amazing church that you've called each of us to be here and a part of today. Lord, I pray that you would help us both individually in our own hearts and lives, but also corporately to build houses of zeal and wisdom. Father, help us to connect the generations. Help us not to be so lost and consumed in our own pocket, in our own world, in our own lane, that we miss the beauty of bringing generations together. Give us strategy. Give us insight. Give us the courage to go and ask for a coffee of someone that we can bridge a generational gap with. Father, I pray that you would help the fathers and mothers in the faith here today to step into the role you're calling them to step into. Would you bring to them those you're calling them to adopt and pray for and encourage and give to and walk a journey alongside? Father, I know we're better together, so Lord, help us in that. Lord, I pray that you would, this would be a church that promotes a whole lot of passion, that we would never lose our passion for you, for the lost, for the word, for the gathering of the saints, for worship, for all that you have for us, Lord, that may we never grow grow dim in our zeal for you. May we be an encouraging church. Father, I pray that this will be the kind of place that every single Sunday when people come here today, they leave built up and encouraged. Lord, that hearts would be made bigger for being in this place. Give us the words to say to one another. Give us the encouragement to give. And Father, I pray you would also help us to be a place that welcomes instruction. May we never grow prideful in our zeal that we cannot receive godly instruction. 
that we cannot receive the instruction of your word or the instruction of a, a trusted voice in the Lord. But may we submit ourselves to one another, trusting that your plan for us outworks corporately, not just individually. And help us to, Lord, sit in submission to your word and behold your word today with reverence and awe. We say, Lord, may your word find a home in our hearts today. Father, I pray that for any of us, Lord, who've lost touch with you, you say you are the vine and we are the branches and we are to abide in you. So, Father, I pray we would abide in you again and find our passion once more, find our wisdom in you as well.